Hello and welcome to the Sisterhood of the Rings, the Tolkien podcast where we discuss all the lore almost no one cares about. I'm your host, Maddie Bolzenius. And I'm your host, Molly Tenley-Strait. This week we will be discussing J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Book 1, Chapter 7, The House of Tom Bombadil, and Chapter 8, Fog on the Barrow Downs. Okay, well tell me about your week, Molly. So this week's been pretty good. I had school. And I did pretty good. Oh, yeah. And I am one of those like front row students, which is pretty exciting. That is exciting. You're such a go-getter. Thank you. I'm like the oldest person in this class. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm but I'm but I'm in there. You know, I, you know what, though? You don't know that you're the oldest person in that class because you haven't seen all the back row people. There That's could be true. like a 75 year old man sitting in the back row and you would have no idea. That's because, true. Because you're such a superstar that you don't even pay attention to those back row people. That's true. And did I tell you that my homework that's due next Wednesday, I already finished it. Oh, my God. And we're recording this episode on Friday. So, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I am almost as impressive. I'm a two-time college dropout and... uh, Proud of it. Proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) But also, my kids have been dreadful with electronics. One of my kids, I had to completely remove electronics from his vocabulary. And my other two are limited to 30 minutes a day, which is a big step for me because it's been a babysitter in my house for a long time. Yeah, well, it's so easy to just like... (laughs) Kids, we're recording our podcast. Go to the basement and play play video video games. games. Can't do that anymore. No. Got to do it while they're at school. You know what, though? We played so many video games when we were kids. I'm definitely like, I mean, we for sure played outside a lot, but I'm not one of those people who's like, well, back in my day, we never played. I played, no joke, probably five hours of Animal Crossing a day, at least when I was in like fourth grade. Maddie, let's name our favorite video games. Oh, (laughs) I know two on our list are already Me and Maddie have the same top two video games, which are Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and And Final Fantasy X. Final Fantasy X. Mm -hmm. We have played both of those games, what do you think, a dozen times at least each? At least, yeah. Yeah. They're still fun every time, They are. They're still exciting. And, like, we have our favorite parts that we look forward to. It's just so good. All right, Um, Maddie, what else? What are your other favorite games? Well, obviously, Animal Crossing is a big one for me. I also really, really like Pikmin when I was a child. Mm. And Monkey Ball. Oh. Oh, and Kirby Air Ride was the greatest game that has ever existed and I'm also like horribly horribly uncoordinated so any games like I tried to play what was it Final Fantasy 15 when that came out oh yeah you were terrible at that oh my god the worst the only kind of like RPG that I can play are turn-based yeah basically I mean I can do Zelda Ocarina of Time but I'm not good at it no like I have to do all the bosses Yeah, yeah yeah typically for sure I can do the spider that's in the Deku tree, <laughs> the very first, the very one. first boss. I can, do, okay. I can do that boss. Yeah, uh, my favorite games. I'm obsessed with Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I've played that game, that game a lot of times. I like watching you play that game. Yeah, it's really it's beautiful. Really lovely. I also love Pokemon. Pokemon Go was great because Pokemon Blue was what I played when I was a kid, and it's like the same game, and I love it. Are you talking about uh, like 
Let's Go Oh, Pikachu. that's right. It's not called Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Go was the app. No, I didn't do that. It's called I Let's did, Go. You no, know, yes, you totally fucking did do Pokemon <laughs> Go. You went hard on that game for like three weeks. I did. Um, yeah, so Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu or yeah. Eevee. And I'm trying to think of the other games. Oh, I love Mario Kart, Mario Party, oh, Bomberman. Bomberman, that's a that's throwback. A oh, Civilization. Oh, yeah, you're really into that one. Yeah. Yeah. The Sims. Me and Maddie used to love The Sims. Oh, my God. Sims, too. But I would always just, like, make me and whoever I had a crush on at the time as Sims. And then, yeah, I would just have us fall in love. Like, I would, they wouldn't even eat or sleep. I would literally just have them talk to each other and just be like, (laughs) flirt, 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 until you got the new options for flirting and until they were making out. And then they would just, like, go upstairs and, like, Woohoo! Yeah, and that was like the and most the thrilling. Pe- pulls over right. the bed, and, like, oh, <laughs> and it's like the most exciting thing that can happen to a twelve-year-old is like having your Sims. And then like, they like it. automatically get married, right? Pretty much after that, yeah. I mean, it's like they sealed the deal. Yeah, I mean, you have to, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, Lord. Okay, Maddie. This has gone off the rails. What's new with your week? Not much. I've just been working. I I had my follow-up appointment for my foot. As you will know, if you've listened to the podcast before, I recently had foot surgery. And I thought I was going to get my boot off yesterday. And surprise, motherfucker (laughs) was like, nope, you're going to wear it for another week. And I'm really, really sick of having my sex appeal being diminished by this fucking boot on my foot. I feel like some people are into it. Some people are into it. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else, Maddie? No. Well, there is something that we need to talk about. Christopher Tolkien died. I know. It's so sad. I know. We're recording this on the 17th, and he passed yesterday on the 16th of January, 2020. It's such a sad day for anybody in the Tolkien fandom Christopher Tolkien did so much taking all of his father's notes compiling all of that unpublished material and getting it out there so that we can read it and enjoy it and have this full beautiful universe that J.R.R. Tolkien himself created do you want to hear something so sweet that I read about yesterday yeah so Apparently, you know that he's the one who corrected the map and put it out, like the map of Middle Earth and everything. Well, apparently, while Tolkien was writing and getting all his work ready to be published, he would give the copies to Christopher and he would read through them and like nitpick them. As like a young kid. That's so cute. Not really sweet. I want to cry. And he would like look at the maps and correct spellings and different things like that. It's just so lovely to me imagining that they shared that because so many times you hear about famous authors and their relationship with their children is really terrible and strained and... And then Christopher Tolkien and J.R.R. Tolkien seem to have this really collaborative, lovely relationship and they shared a middle name which one yes that one (laughs) i was hoping that you knew how to say it i was just gonna bring it up and then you were gonna (laughs) (laughs) sounds like my dog's stomach jolking rolking rolking tolking (laughs) yes (laughs) that's the one yeah 
I wish I could say that though. It sounds like, you know, the word rural. Like, yes. are you are? That's the best I can do. Rural. I can't even really say well, that. Well, if you're from Ohio, like us, the you really rural. don't need to pronounce it very well. You can just say rural. Roll. Roll. It's like R O L L. That's good enough for the people of Ohio. The Roll Ohio. Roll Ohio. <laughs> I would dedicate this episode to Christopher Tolkien, but we're the worst. We've just fucked around <laughs> so much. It's kind of an insult. It's like spitting on his grave. Yeah, we're not going to do that, but we're also not dedicating this to him because that would be an insult for we're sure. We're dedicating the entire podcast to him, though, as a whole. Do you want to go ahead and jump into our chapter summaries? I would love to. Okay, so this week I'd like to start with the movie overview for these chapters. It's really different than the book. So be prepared. Okay. You've seen these movies a couple times, right? You remember this part. Uh, More than a couple times. So basically the scene starts and it's this dark manor. And they walk up to the manor and they knock on the door and nobody answers. They come into the manor. And all of a sudden, they start realizing these inanimate objects are talking. And they get brought into this big room where there's this roaring fire. And they sit by the fire. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Are you doing Beauty and the Beast? Yes. <laughs> I could not, for the life of me, I thought you were doing like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows for a second. And this is not I a Harry thought, Potter podcast. This is not. And then I couldn't figure. And then I was thinking like... I, don't, I was like, what other haunted house movies are there? Should I? And then the inanimate object. What the fuck? <laughs> you didn't even let me get to the part where they're sitting there by the fire. And then this terrible beast appears behind them and drags them to the top of the tower to the dungeon. You sound like crazy old Maurice right now. Thank you. <laughs> crazy old Maurice. <laughs> That's the only impression of Gaston that I can do, by the way. So I don't know if I made this clear, but they're, they don't cover this part of the movie. Yeah, there's, there's nothing about any of this in the movie. So sit back and enjoy the ride if you haven't read the books. Yeah. So I am doing the book overview for real. Thank God. <laughs> of The House of Tom Bombadil, Chapter 7. So the hobbits enter the house and they meet the lovely Goldberry. Goldberry is the wife of Tom Bombadil and she is sitting surrounded by clay pots that are filled with water and filled with water lilies. And so it looks like she's in a pool because she's a river spirit, which is so cute. So Tom shows them the house and he's like, oh, I'm going to bring you to your rooms. And they go up to their rooms and already there are four beds prepared with green slippers in front of each one and bathtubs with hot water ready to go for them. No, that's good service. That sure is. They come downstairs all freshly clean and bathed and they have a lovely dinner and they have that honeycomb and all that yumminess. Yeah. And then afterwards, Goldberry goes to bed and they stay up to talk, meaning the hobbits and Tom Bombdale. They don't talk for very long, though, and then they decide to go to bed, and then they have really weird dreams, almost all of them except for Sam. Who sleeps like a baby. Yeah. And then the following day, they wake up, and they hear Goldberry singing, and it is raining outside, and it is foggy, and it is not a good day to travel, and Frodo's like, thank the fucking Lord! Because he does not want to travel. He's like, I want to stay here forever. Forget this ring business. I want to stay there, too. They... Have a lovely day at Tom Bombadil's house. Then at dinner time, they have a lovely dinner and then they talk more after dinner. And then they have that whole business where Tom is like 
bring that ring out of the pocket. And he tries on the ring and nothing happens. He doesn't disappear. Right. And then Frodo tries to put on the ring and then Tom Bobadil can see him even while he's wearing the ring. Then they go to bed and that's the whole chapter. Fun. There's some more Tom Bombadil songs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Tom Bombadil chapters are just full of silly little Tom songs. They are lovely. Maddie, would you like to do chapter eight? Yeah, I'll do chapter eight. Quite a bit happens, so I'm going to try and keep it brief. But if I start rambling, go ahead and just like stop me. So chapter eight is titled Fog on the Barrow Downs. So this chapter starts with Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin departing Tom Bombadil's house. But Frodo like flips the fuck out because he's like, we do not say goodbye to Goldberry. But fret not, she's waiting on the hill. She looks gorgeous. She's singing a song. And she tells them to make haste while the sun still shines. Because those black riders. I think she's more worried about what is oh, on the, the barrow whites. Downs. Yeah. They set out on their journey, and they seem to be making pretty good progress, and then they come to the Barrow Downs, and laying eyes upon those standing stones on the mounds, they feel a great sense of unease. So it's hot, and they're really tired. They stop to rest at one of these standing stones, which is cold even in the sunlight, and they, of course, take a nap there. Seems like a great idea, right? creepy stone that doesn't absorb any sunlight great place to take a nap so of course they wake up after many hours the sun is setting and a thick fog is settling on the barrow downs they start to press on they want to get out of there but they soon become separated so frodo's freaking out this is probably i'm sure you agree the most anxiety inducing part of this book Oh so yeah, it's far. way way worse. It is than, like, so like them getting chased it, by it's like, the. It's like he has no idea why he keeps seeing these like standing stones coming out of the fog, and he's like calling for Mary, Mary and Pippin and Sam, and like he kind of hears them like calling back for him, and then he hears these like little cries for help, and it's just like really really scary. So eventually he comes upon another one of these big standing stones, and then he falls to his knees, and out of the mist is this towering black figure that has pale, luminous eyes, and it grips him with this freezing iron grip. Frodo passes out. He comes to, he's inside a barrow. So it's basically a tomb, right? And he is dressed in white cloth. He has gold chains binding him, and there's jewelry all around. And he has this moment where he finds his courage and finds his will to live. And he's like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. At that moment, he sees Sam, Mary, Pippin all lying in the same white cloth. They all have jewelry around them and on them. They have little circlets on their head. Are they holding swords? Yeah, they're like holding swords with them as well. Then he hears singing. And this chorus, this dread chorus of Barrow Whites is singing this incantation of death. And just it's super, super creepy. And he sees this arm kind of like prancing around on its fingers, right? Like coming towards Sam. And Frodo's just like, not today, Satan. And he like fucking takes up the sword, cuts the hand off the arm. By far the most badass Frodo moment. Oh my God, it's so cool. He... In that moment, starts singing Tom Bombadil's song. Guess who appears? Tom fucking Bombadil. Yes! He comes to save the day. Tom performs this sort of weird, like, exorcism on the barrow. 
and he lays out the jewelry upon the hill after they get like Mary and Pippin and Sam and Frodo out of there, which him laying jewelry on the hill for some reason means that the Barrow Whites can't return there anymore. I don't really fully understand. Well, actually, I do kind of, but we'll talk about that later. Right. So all that happens. And then Tom leaves them briefly and he returns with new clothes and ponies for them. He escorts them until about four miles from Bree and bids them farewell. And they press on towards the village. That is the end of the chapter. God, that chapter is so good. I know. Well, here's the thing. I, I usually try and be a little more brief than that, but because it's not in the movies at all, I just wanted to paint maybe a little bit more clear of a picture of exactly what happens. Is that okay? Like, yeah. No, I'm glad you did. All right. Well, I think you should go first this week. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, mine is about chapter seven and you're mostly about chapter eight. So I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay, before I begin my section, I really wanted to do a quick overview of what I discussed in chapter one. I talked about how the world of Arda was created right. and the setup of the, the gods and such. And it's important to my section today. So I really wanted to give a little quick recap. Oh, dude, I am 100%. I love kind of like reviewing the information that we've already done because it creates for like better working knowledge of things. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's good that we repeat ourselves kind of frequently. Okay, good. Plus, if you didn't listen to episode one, then you don't need to, right? You can just skip it. But you should listen to episode one. Okay. <laughs> so, so basically, the way it's set up is Eru Iluvatar is the deity, the god of Ea, which is the universe that Tolkien created. He created life and everything else through music. Below him are the Valar. He created the Valar. There are 14 of them, and they use their singing to create the world. So he taught them to sing, and then they use their singing together to create the world. There was one bad one. So there originally was 15, and that bad one is Melkor. And we talk about him a lot, and we will do an overview over him, but we have not yet. So Melkor is the one bad one. Right below the Valar are the Maiar, mm -hmm. and the Maiar are assistants to the Valar. All of the Valar have Maiars that help them with their jobs, with their tasks, with their singing, but they're a step below. So step one is Eru, step two is the Valar, and step three is the Maiar. The Valar and the Maiar are all called Ainors, which are spiritual beings. Good overview? Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so I decided that there's so much on Tom Bombadil and on Goldberry that I wanted to take my own time to talk about them this week, even though Maddie did teach us about Tom Bombadil last week. I'm always down to hear expansions on things, and I didn't do Goldberry really at all, so... Yeah, so this is just a little bit more detailed, and it's my own interpretations of the material, and I think I found a lot of different stuff, so I think it'll be really interesting. Okay, I'm psyched. So after Goldberry goes to bed, they are sitting down with Tom Pompadil, and Frodo says to him, Who are you, master? He asked. Eh, what? said Tom sitting up, and his eyes glinted in the gloom. Don't you know my name yet? That's the only answer. Tell me, who are you? Alone? Yourself and nameless? But you are young, and I am old. Eldest, that's what I am. Mark my words, my friends. Tom was here before the river and the trees. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He made paths before the big people. 
and saw the little people arriving. He was here before the kings and the graves and the barrow whites. When the elves passed westward, Tom was here already, before the seas were bent. He knew the dark under the stars when it was fearless, before the dark lord came from outside. Okay, so the question comes, who is Tom Bombadil? And like Maddie discussed last week, we don't really know. Tolkien never really gave us a firm answer. So we have all these different interpretations of what and who Tom Bombadil is. Maddie, could you summarize what you went over last week in a really short terms of of who Tom Bombadil is in your eyes? Well, after all the research I did last week, it's my opinion that Tom Bombadil is a creature like Avala, but probably not Avala himself. But we know that he's likely the oldest living creature that is in Arda. And he's just mysterious and weird and really hella old. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's about what I had taken from last week as well. And so I just went off of that and uh, tried to see a little bit more if I could find some other answers, some other fan theories. So this is kind of another fan theory episode. I love this. Yeah. I I love this journey for you. Thank you. (laughs) In the book overview, I mentioned that there was a lot of strange dreams going on. And this is super important for my discussion. Okay. Basically, on night one, there are three dreams that we talk about. Frodo has a dream that a mighty eagle rescues a mysterious man, which we find out later is Gandalf, from a high tower. And at this point, this has already happened. It had happened a few days earlier. Oh. Oh. So So it wasn't a prophetic dream. It it wasn't. Yeah. It was actually him seeing what had already happened. Oh, my God. Okay, cool. Yeah. Pippin has a dream of being trapped in Old Man Willow, which did happen. So that makes sense that he would dream that. Trauma nightmare. Trauma. And then Mary has a dream of being drowned by slow rising water. So basically the scene in Titanic where, you know, Jack's (laughs) getting, is it Jack or Rose who's getting like the water's going higher and higher and they're like pressed up against the ceiling? I think it's both of them. Okay. Well, basically it's that. Or I guess you could also think it's the flooded Isengard. I guess, but I like Titanic better. Right. So Mary is having a dream of the future. Oh, he's the one who's having a prophecy of some sort. Right. But then the second night, Frodo has a dream. This is actually in chapter eight. He has a dream of a voice that is singing and he sees a far green country under a sunrise, which is Valinor. So then he has a dream of the future. Wait, is that the line where they say a a something green country under a swift sunrise? Exactly. That that scene in Return of the King in Mm -hmm. the movie where Gandalf is talking to Pippin about what it's like to die. Right. And he's... Oh, and it's describing Valinor. Yes. So this is super interesting because both Mary and Frodo are having dreams of the future and Frodo has a dream of the past. And then Pippin is having a dream as well that we hear about, which is interesting because we never hear about dreams. Right. Sam is an interesting character because he doesn't dream. He sleeps like a log is literally what it says. (laughs) But he is also unaffected by old man Willow. Well, not unaffected, but not as affected as the other ones. By the enchantment. Yeah. Which is, do you know why that is? Are you going to tell me? We don't actually know. So no, I'm not going to tell you. But I do think it's interesting. Somebody was like, maybe it's because he's a gardener. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's like, maybe Sam is like less enticed by danger. And I don't know. I don't know. But I did think that was really interesting that he seemed untouched by 
by the power by the magic or yeah that's yeah. really really interesting from this dream scenario it made me start thinking about why in his house all of a sudden are they having these dreams of the past the future the ongoings when there's been no concrete dreams i talked about dreams what a couple episodes ago yeah and there was no concrete dreams it's all oh what if what if and then all of a sudden they come here and they're having really really vivid, vivid straight up dreams about things that things that were things that are <laughs> and things and some things that have not yet come to pass exactly galadriel yeah thanks so. so the vala ermo is the master of spirits visions and dreams mm. okay his domain is lorian Oh, mm -hmm. like he created that or is that like... I don't exactly know. I think it means that's like the realm that he's in charge of. He okay. watches over them. It specifically okay. says that he has communications with those elves specifically and he gives them visions while they're dreaming. Okay. In Lothlorien. In Ariel's Old English, Ermo can be translated to mean dream ruler. Oh. Mm-hmm. So all in all, this is a Vala who is in control of dreams and spirits. He is married to Este, mm -hmm. who is the healer of hurts and wariness. Oh. This is interesting to me because we had the idea that Tom Bombadil could be a Maiar. A Vala. No, a Maiar, right? No. Okay. Well, this is new then. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So there is an idea that Tom Bombadil could be a Maiar. And if he is a Maiar, he could be assisting and trained by this Vala, Vala Ermo, oh. who is married to Este. And so all in all, he's trained about spirits and dreams and about healing and helping the people who come to him for care. So if he's trained by them, then here he is, this being. Everyone who comes to him, they get help and care when they're feeling hurt. And then when they're sleeping in his house, they get these special dreams. Whoa. Right. That's so, a concept. Yeah. So that is one of the ideas of what Tom Bombadil could be. Okay. The biggest issue with this theory is the whole business when he tries on the ring. Yeah. So the problem is, is we know that Myars are not affected the same way Tom Bombadil is when he tries on the ring. Right. So when Tom Bombadil puts the ring on, he does not disappear. The ring does not seem to have power over him. Right. And then also when Frodo puts the ring on, he can still see Frodo. Yeah. Gandalf is also a Maiar, and he does not have these abilities. Right, right. It is a little bit confusing. I guess my biggest thought is that what if Gandalf does have these abilities? We do not oh. see Gandalf put the ring on, and we don't ever have proof that he can't see Bilbo and Frodo when they put the ring on, do we? He, Not to he, my knowledge. He pretends that he doesn't see them or doesn't acknowledge that he sees them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't. Does anyone know? I don't know. I think that would be really we, interesting. Yeah, we should we should look it up. And if we forget, if somebody knows the answer to this, let us know. Yeah. So that is one of the theories that okay. he could be a Maiar. 
The next theory is that he could be a Vala, which is what you had discussed. Correct. Now, you didn't go too far into it, though, so I wanted to touch on it a little bit more. Oh, good. Okay, so the theory is that he could be a Vala in disguise. So there are 14 Valars, and of the 14, eight of them are called the Eratars. Aratars? I don't know. Eratars? And those are like the eight most powerful. Those are the ones who were first on Arda. And they're the ones who like first started creating Arda. So he would have had to be one of those eight because he specifically says in that chapter, or Goldberry says it, somebody says, you know, he was the first one to walk, blah, 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 blah. Right. He like saw the first rains on the first acorn. Right. So like if he was a Valar, he would have had to be one of the first eight is my understanding. Unless yeah. it was more of like a general, kind of like how you say like, oh, I was the first one at the party as long as you were the first 10. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it's We've just saying We've all been that. there. In the Silmarillion, there is this quote. It says, the Valar have other names in speech of the elves in Middle-earth and their names among men are manifold. So basically, that could be fine. They call him Tom Bombadil, but that's not really his name. Right. So he could be a Vala that's being called Tom Bombadil now, but that's not who he is. The main, main issues come from the fact that Gandalf and nobody else seems to recognize him as a Valar. Yeah. It would be like really hard to disguise that much power. That's pretty much what we're saying here. It doesn't seem like very likely to me after I researched it. It just seems like if he really was a Vala, like he could be living in the undying lands where everything is wonderful and everything's beautiful. And instead he just like fucks around in this one little area of Middle Earth. Right. And he also doesn't seem to be particularly knowledgeable about anything besides his own area right like yeah he, i mean it says that he had explored it but he didn't really do much else and then also if he really either. is a valar when all this shit is going on with sauron why would he not be fighting back exactly it just doesn't make sense yeah so i've kind of nixed that idea okay i'm pretty positive that's that's not what's going on here another fan theory was that he could be Aru himself oh yeah but also i'm pretty much nixing that one as well because there's evidence there's literally a straight quote that says like there is no embodiment of the one of god who indeed remains remote outside the world and only directly accessible to the valar or rulers so that pretty yeah, much says that, he, he cannot be right. He cannot be a real. Okay. Okay. My last idea of what Tom Bombadil could be is a spirit. So less broad. I mean, no, way more broad, way more broad. So basically we don't really know what he is. This was on a letter that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote that they had collected. He said, do you think Tom Bombadil, the spirit of the vanishing Oxford and Berkshire countryside, could be made into the hero of a story? What? So instead of being an actual character, per se, he's the embodiment of the spirit of this countryside, of the land. Oh, well, that's kind of nice sounding. Right. What he's saying is he could have just this different sense of power because he's really a nature spirit. He mm -hmm. isn't a Maya. He isn't a Vala. He isn't a person. He's a spirit. He's powerful, but not all powerful. Right. There was also this quote that I found that was in the 
book of lost tales, it said brownies, fays, pixies, leprons, and what else are they not called? For their number is very great. They were born before the world and are older than its oldest. Mm. Which is basically what they say Tom Bombadil is. Yeah. He says he's fatherless. He was around before anything else. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest of the old. So that fits it really well, too. It does. So he's like this spiritual creature that we don't know anything about. There's not that much information on it, which is why I liked the Maillard theory better, just because there was like some like supporting evidence. And other than the fact that he just is like you know, can have some control over other spirits and wild. And he has like a wife who's a water spirit and stuff like that. There's really not any more concrete evidence. I don't know, but I, I kind of like, I kind of like the lack of concrete evidence and in I, this and, particular case. And Tolkien like specifically said that he wanted that. He didn't yeah, want concrete evidence on this. He's pure, like, it's pure whimsy. Yeah. He's like, just enjoy this part. It doesn't need to be ironed out. And then here we are ironing the shit out. Yeah, well, that's what we do. <laughs> okay, one last idea that I just really, I don't have any other information than this one sentence, but I thought it was really interesting. Okay. There is a fan theory that he could be a spirit of the music of the Ainur itself. Oh. So basically, when the music was being sung, this little like tidbit, like a little star drop fell, and that's Tom Bombadil. He's like <gasps> the creation from the music. Oh my God, that's so cute. And the theory is that there is a massive spider called Ungoliant, who is Shelob's mother, Ooh. is the spirit of Melkor's deviation. Because they, they don't know where this spider came from. There's, It's kind of one of those like, just not like a, talked a about. It's just a manifestation of his own fuckery. Yes. <laughs> so Tom Bobadil's like the light and this spider is the dark. Oh my God. Bitch, I thought that was a really cute idea. Yeah. Okay. That was my Tom Bombadil information. Okay. Are you going to talk about Goldberry? Do you think that was a worthwhile time? I mean, I know you did oh, Tom Bombadil yeah. last time, but I thought that this was some no, different yeah, information. No, yeah, tons more information and, and like... Fan theories. Fan theories, and I love that. It was really exciting. Thank you. Of course. Okay, so let's talk about Goldberry for a minute. So when we let's first do. when we first meet her, she is singing a glorious song. The hobbits come in the room, and she is sitting there with the water lilies all around her, and she's wearing this beautiful green dress, and there's silver beads that look like dew, and she's wearing a gold belt that's in the shape of flag lilies set with blue forget-me-not flowers. Mm. Around her feet are all those little pots with the flowers. Gorgeous. So she's just like this really lovely girl and maddie said when she first started reading this book she thought that it was tom bombadil's daughter i read this how it says like river daughter back back when i was in maybe a a sophomore in high school and oh you just didn't remember i just didn't remember okay got it yeah Yeah. i mean not that tom bombadil doesn't like totally 100 percent deserve it but like it's one of those things where you're like how did this guy get such a hot wife you know what i mean (laughs) and then we learn Oh, and here we go. Well, Maddie talked about this, but yeah. I'm going to touch over it again. He was walking past the Withywindle River. He leaned over the edge and out of mischief, the river spirit's daughter, who is Goldberry, pulls him by the beard under the water and he sings some music to her and makes her release him. Mm-hmm. And then the next day he comes back. Then he asks the river spirit if he can have 
Goldberry for his wife. And she says yes. So Goldberry <laughs> goes like, and please. She's like, she is so annoying. Somebody take her. Please take her away. <laughs> so she she goes home with Tom Bombadil and they live happily ever after. Cute. Okay. So the theory about Goldberry is that she is the embodiment of the seasons. Oh. And that is evident by her clothing. Okay. So if you listen to her clothing changing, the day that she is not in the house with them, it's the rainy day, that's where this really comes into play. The first night when they're there, this is the quote that is said about her. She passed out of the room with a glimmer and a rustle. The sound of her footsteps was like a stream falling gently away downhill over cool stones in the quiet of night. So that's just the river spirit. That's what we can just picture her. Just I like love the lovely that. little. Just literally just that line made me want to like just lay my head down and <laughs> take a nice little nap. It is in, in the best way. I don't mean it's boring. I mean like it's relaxing and sweet. Right. And then the second day it's raining outside and Tom Bombadil says this is Goldberry's washing day and her autumn cleaning. That appeared to me like she was cleansing the autumn season away because all of this is happening in the autumn, right? I think we're like mid-October right now. Yeah, probably early October at this point. They're washing the autumn away, preparing for winter. Goldberry is wearing this green dress with these flower belts and then she does that and then the next time we see her, she is wearing a silver dress with a white girdle and her shoes are like fish's mail. Oh, so it's like winter attire. So she goes out. She cleanses the world with water of the autumn season. And then she comes in and it's changed. And now we're prepared for winter to come. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I just would love the idea of like staying with her all year and just seeing her like get rid of winter and prepare for spring and then prepare for summer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it sounds really nice. Uh, this was something else that was said that by the Hobbit's. They could hear few words, but it seemed plain to them that the song was a rain song, as sweet as showers on dry hills. Mm. And I just think that this whole section is just filled with such beautiful little quotes. Such lovely. Talking just like graced us with this like lovely little happy. language. Yeah, this like really happy chapter in the midst of all the darkness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people talk about how they don't really like this part. It seems cheesy. And I just completely disagree. No, I feel like it's the light it's that we needed. It's a fresh air. Exactly. Yeah. That's basically, there is not a whole lot of information on Goldberry, but that was the best fan theory that I could come up with and that I could find. And I thought that that was really beautiful. I adore that. Yeah. And so that is what I learned about Tom Bombadil and Goldberry. Oh, good job. Thank you. Yeah, I loved that. I'm really, really excited to hear your topic. All right. So my quote is from page 139 in chapter eight, Fog on the Barrow Downs. Frodo has lost track of his friends, and he is searching for them. Out of the east, the biting wind was blowing. To his right, there loomed against the westward stars a dark black shape. A great barrow stood there. Where are you? he cried again, both angry and afraid. Here, said a voice, deep and cold, that seemed to come out of the ground. I am waiting for you. No, said Frodo, but he did not run away. His knees gave, and he fell on the ground. Nothing happened, and there was no sound. Trembling, he looked up, in time to see a tall, dark figure like a shadow against the stars. It leaned over him. 
He thought there were two eyes, very cold, though lit with a pale light that seemed to come from some remote distance. Then a grip, stronger and colder than iron, seized him. The icy touch froze his bones, and he remembered no more. Creepy. So yours was lovely and whimsical (laughs) and happy and cool, and I'm just going to go ahead and... Just fuck shit up a little bit, as I always do. I love it. Yep. We're going spooky this time, sis. I'm doing the Barrow Whites. Yes. Hell yes. Sorry. Here we go. Are you as excited for this one as you were about Sauron? I am almost as excited about this one. This one is right up my fucking alley because I love, 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 love ghost stories. And these have to be the creepiest characters that we've encountered so far. That's including the Nazgul. Which we decided are not actually that creepy. Which we decided are not actually that creepy. Thank you, Luke. The Barrow Whites are definitely, I, I think they're they're the spookiest. But I will, I will let you be the judge of that once I'm done with my thing. Copy that. Let's go. Okay, let's go. So what are the Barrow Whites? That's what I wanted to know. At their core, they are shape-shifting spirits. They're similar to wraiths. They possess dark powers which allow them to reanimate the corpses of the dead and cast spells with their terrible slash hypnotic voices, taking away the will of their victims. I hate that. Yeah. So they can kind of appear as spirits, but they can also inhabit the corpses of dead people, which is actually what the Barrow Whites that we see who mess around with Frodo and his gang are inhabiting the corpses of dead kings of old but they don't always appear like that. Sometimes they're just like phantoms. They most often appear as dark phantoms with luminous eyes. Now, I want to take a little break here from the Barrowites for a second, because when I read that, I thought immediately of this story that one of my best friends, Lee Myers, told me when we were about 15, riding on a school bus at night home from a marching band Is it about two electric eels that wind their tails together and have yellow eyes that stare at the little mermaid stop little mermaiding me bitch no more disney movies for you today you are out of disney references okay actually no three per episode you get one more but choose wisely please i'll be thinking about it the rest of the time good no i was thinking of a story that that my friend lee told me and I, it might be from A Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book, but there are like three volumes of those. I couldn't figure out which one it was. But it's a story about a girl who moves into a house. And the person who sells the house to them says, this is a great house. You're going to love it. This back window here, it faces a graveyard up on a hill. Just don't look out that window at night. So, of course, the teenage daughter wants to sleep in that room. And the very first night... She looks out the window, and up on this hilltop, she sees two pinpricks of light. And she stares at them for a moment, and they're just staring right back at her. The next night, she looks there again. Pinpricks of light. This time, they sort of start to look around. The third night, she looks at the top of the hill, and there are these pinpricks of light. They're looking around. They focus on her again, and then they start to come closer. She squints, and in the darkness, she sees a figure running down the hill with its arms, like, flailing really unnaturally, and these pinpricks of light coming closer and closer and closer and closer, and then she hides, and and she hides under her windowsill, and then nothing happens. 
And so she takes a peek again and there's a face pressed up against the glass with these like glowing eyes. So I just thought of that story. I just I remembered that story when I was reading that and I was like, oh, that like that reminds me so much of them. And it's so creepy. And it made the Barrel White seem creepier to me because that image of them with their unnatural like body movements and the glowing eyes. Like to me, there's nothing spookier than like an, a reanimated corpse. See, I hate ghost stories because I'm terrified of everything. So that was very scary. I wish that you guys could have seen Molly's face while I was telling that story. She looked like she wanted to just disappear. I was just counting the the moments till it was over. Um, But yeah, that's a little shout out to my friend Lee. She will be very happy that I remembered that story. (laughs) Anyways, back to the Barrow Whites. They have a skeletal grip that's strong like iron and as cold as ice, which is basically exactly the description that was just in that section I read. So once you're in the grasp of a Barrow White, you're pretty much fucked. From the Barrow, a dismal choir of tortured souls can be heard. Evidently, this is kind of their MO. They capture you, they bring you into a Barrow, and then they do all sorts of weird shit. What exactly is a Barrow? I'm going to get into that. Okay. Actually, I'm going to skip to that right now before I go into exactly what the Barrow Whites do to you. So thank you for stopping me. So you're welcome. <laughs> nope, nope, oh. that wasn't one. That didn't count. That didn't count. No, it didn't count. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I didn't sing it. I just said the words. All right, you get one more. Okay, so what exactly are the Barrow Downs? That's another huge mystery here. And before we can really even get into the Barrow Whites, we got to talk about the Barrow Downs, right? Right. So the Barrow Downs are also called Tiern Gorthad. And they are an area of ancient burial mounds laid by the men of the Old Northern Kingdom. Barrow refers to a burial mound. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And downs are just sort of like a description of terrain. So Barrow, downs. Terrain that has burial mounds on it. The downs sit in southern Eriador within the bounds of Cardolan. Cardolan is a realm that was once part of the Dudadine kingdom of Arnor. When the king Arendor died, his sons divided the kingdom into three parts. Arthodine, Rudaur, I think, and Cardolan. Cardolan is where the Barrow Downs are. I'm sure that we'll get into that more at one point. I I would like to do Arnor in general at some point. But anyways, that's just... These hills are a resting place for the men of the north as well as a lot of Dunedain mm. are there. Tiern Gorthad was first made and inhabited by the forefathers of the Adain in the First Age. Do you remember who those guys are? No. Okay, so in the first episode, I covered Esgaroth okay, on the right, long right, right. remember? And Esgaroth was founded by the Adain. So they are a part of the kingdom of men. I think they're a branch of Numenorians. Oh. Okay, okay. Okay. This is all coming together. Right. So these people are the same people who founded Tiern Gorthad. So as all good things come to an end in Middle Earth, the Easterlings came and started fucking shit up. So the Adain like peace the fuck out of Tiern Gorthad and they came back when the War of Wrath cleared all of the Easterlings out again. So they left and then they came back and they were like, this is our home. Like, we're coming back. So the Numenorians come to live there in the Second Age, and the Barrow Downs are incorporated into the Kingdom of Arnor when Elendil returns to Middle-earth 
in approximately second age 3320. Back to Cardolan. Tyr Gorthad was the capital of Cardolan, but when Angmar started to cause some bullshit, it fell and the area was left empty. So at this point, the Witch King of Angmar unleashed from his many Pokeballs the frightening apparitions we know as the Barrow Whites. To no haunt, way! Yes, to haunt Tyrion Gorthad's great tombs of men. So he was like, fuck you guys, I'm releasing all my ghosties. And wait, wait, is this while he was still like a king? This was yeah. before he was yeah. a Nazgul. Yes. So, okay, he has done some serious shit. Yeah. Yeah, you hear that, Luke? <laughs> He's probably not. He probably only listened to his episode, right? That's probably true. <laughs> so after that, some Dunedain tried to return to Tyrion Gorthad, but the power of the Whites was too great. And it was basically just too haunted and spooky. And they were like, you know what? Fuck this shit. We'll just leave it alone. So let's talk about the Barrow Whites again. How do you feel about that? I mean, not great. Okay, good, because they're really spooky. Okay. <laughs> they dwell in once sacred places, and these hills are crowned with monoliths and rings of stone. So picture kind of like Stonehenge. It's kind of that same deal. So they're hills, and actually in the area surrounding Stonehenge, like in England... It's not just Stonehenge. I mean, miles and miles around that site, there are burial mounds everywhere. Barrow downs? They're barrows, <laughs> but they literally are. I mean, you're just driving down these country roads and you'll see them. They're just burial mounds everywhere. And some of them will have little rings of stone on them. There's like a place called Woodhenge that's close to Stonehenge. That, there's just a lot of like weird sort of ancient burial places. So that's what the barrow downs are like. Maddie would know she's been there. I have. I have. I miss it. So once the Barrow Whites catch you, they engage in a sort of strange ritual behavior. They lay their victims on a stone altar. They bind them in gold chains, kind of like Flava Flav. (laughs) And they drape them in pale cloth and precious jewelry of the ancient dead. And then ultimately they murder you with a sacrificial sword, which... Seems kind of less effective than just being like, we're going to murder you right now. They're like, let's take our time. Let's we're going to make you pretty. Everything. Yeah, we're going to make you really cute. Now why? Why take the time to do that? I don't know. And I remember reading that chapter the first time and being like, why did they dress them in new clothes and put these circlets on them and like all this weird shit? But it kind of makes it scarier to me. You yeah, know? it's like more like the idea of while you're passed out, there's stuff going on. There's like people moving you and touching you. And you wake up and you're like, what the fuck? Right. And, I mean, Frodo, when we first are hearing from him, he can't move his body yet, mm-hmm. but he regains consciousness. So he knows what's happening, which does make it so much scarier. So they're basically traumatizing these people. Yeah, it's super spooky. The Barrow Whites can be destroyed. And there are two ways that this can happen. Tom Bombadil. One of them is by by being defeated by extremely powerful incantations, such as Tom's. He comes in there and he sings this little song and they're like, oh, no. The other way, which is much more convenient, is sunlight. Of course. Got it. Because they're creatures of darkness. They hate the sun. In fact, their hatred of sunlight is why they live in the Downs in the first place. Wait, wait, wait. Are we sure they don't just glitter in the sunlight? Oh, my God. Maybe they do. (laughs) 
again, bringing it back to Twilight, as we always do. Again? Did we do Twilight at one point? We've definitely talked about Twilight okay. before. Because we were talking about when I did the episode, um, when I did oh, Sauron, Sauron, and they <laughs> and were at the, the Isle of Werewolves. <laughs> and then he had like a little vampire assistant, and we were like, wait, what? What are the perks of the Barrow Downs for the Barrow Whites, right? Okay, they have dark, spooky, gloomy tombs, the very antithesis of natural light, and sick-ass bones and decked-out armor of ancient kings to possess. Well, that's really all they need. They're, like, going in there, and they're getting their little apartment tour, and they're like, no sunlight? Great. Cool armor and bones? Neat. Perfect. And they move right in there checks all the boxes it does that's what i look for when i find a new apartment too basically they're totally screwed if sunlight hits them much like gingers (laughs) (laughs) so tombs actually the tomb that frodo and company are trapped in is believed to be the cairn of the last prince of cardolin so the particular barrow that they're in is kind of significant i don't know i just thought that was kind of how would anyone have possibly figured that out I don't know. Because Tolkien probably wrote it down somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) He does that shit. And also, well, so at some point in this chapter, Merry or Pippin, once they've been rescued again, says something like, they came up and snuck up on us in the guise of the men of Karn Doom or something like that. And I didn't research that, and I really should. But I wonder if that's maybe the clue that led them to believe that that particular barrow that they were in was the Prince of Cardolan's Barrow. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. If anybody knows, again, please let us know. We never know what we're talking about, right? Okay, I actually have another question, though. Okay. Can I ask, do you mind if nope. I interrupt? No. How are Barrows entered? I think they have, like, a series of passageways that lead between them because I think they kind of are, like, hollowed out mounds like like a hobbit hole no not really they're because they're tombs <laughs> but like <laughs> yep exactly like a hobbit hole just creepy but you know in i think it's in two towers when they're in rohan when they're at edoras and and finally theoden's like back to his normal self and then they have the funeral for his son and they, like make a door and there's all those mounds and then there's like a door that leads into it Oh, that's like the same thing. They're burying the... I think those are barrows. Okay. Like, I, I think it's kind of the same deal. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, but I mean, I guess I'm I'm trying to picture when they go to escape, is there like a physical door or like a passageway? So in the chapter, Tom Bombadil basically like busts into this tomb and they describe it as being a chamber, Right. So there has to be some kind of entrance, but I think he kind of makes his own door. <laughs> I love the idea of him like digging through the dirt to try to get to this chamber and then busting through the wall. That's like kind of how it's described. <laughs> or he though. like has his little cart and buggy and he like goes full speed like, through ah. the <laughs> <laughs> Like entering platform nine and three quarters, <laughs> but a lot more destructive. <laughs> so nothing like that nothing like that at all actually (laughs) but yeah i mean i think they're basically like chambers in these mounds and they must have an entrance to them because how else but they might be sealed off anyways i don't know more questions who knows the way that tom finishes the white off is sort of 
interesting after he busts through the fucking wall he performs a kind of exorcism on the barrow itself he's singing and then spreading the treasures of the barrow on the grass so that the white spell on the barrow is broken and then they can no longer enter there oh so that specific chamber is like fucked up they can't go there right okay it's not the barrow downs as a whole i think if he was able to do that he probably would have like done that before i really i I pictured that's what happened but it's just that specific chamber is fucked up yeah it's just that specific one he's like i'm not gonna do the hard work to do this to every single because he doesn't really care he doesn't really there is no way he is a valar no fuck no (laughs) he's like i will rescue you guys and then i'm gonna go home I would, too, if I had Goldberry as my wife. Yeah, I mean, same. <laughs> like, if you got a, a 10 for a wife waiting at home for you, like, hell yeah. Get on home, Tom. Oh, do you want to know something interesting that I read? Yes, okay. but I think all of this has been interesting. Okay, good. But I, I found this particularly cool. It's entirely possible that the Witch King himself visited the Downs before Frodo and his gang even got there. Like, when they were on their way into the Shire... The Witch King may have gone there to let the Whites know that trespassers may be abound and to be on the lookout. Like, he comes (gasps) in there. He's like, hey, guys, haven't seen you for a couple millennia. We're still chill, though, right? Like, you still work for me. And they're like, yeah, man, how are you doing? And he's like, okay, there's some bitches that are about just go ahead and capture them and murder them for me. And the Barrow Whites are like, okay, man, sounds good. And they do a much better job than he does. Way more effective. (laughs) Way more effective. If it weren't for Frodo being an absolute fucking badass, then, like, they would have succeeded. Well, and also, it's not just Frodo. If Frodo had been left by himself, they all would have been dead. Tom Bombadil came in. Well, yeah, but Frodo was the one who called Tom right. Bombadil in but, the first place. And then my my quote for this chapter, you'll you'll see. Frodo's amazing. We all know this, though, right? Yes, we do. The background of the Barrow Whites is fascinating as well. As we know, Tolkien is, or was, rather, a linguist and very knowledgeable about folklore from other cultures. He drew inspiration from the folklore of many, many different places. The Barrow Whites themselves can be compared to Draugar, which are creatures from Germanic mythology that are evil spirits which reside in the bodies of dead heroes and kings, and they cannot be harmed by conventional weapons, which is similar in the sense that they're, they're inhabiting the bodies of important figures. However, as we saw in this chapter, Frodo cuts the hand off of the arm of one of the Barrow Whites. So although the sword that he uses might not be technically considered to be a conventional weapon, I think it is a sacrificial sword. And once he cuts the hand off of the Barrow White, that sword that he's using splinters, kind of like the Nazgul Blades. Interesting. There's a lot of ways that the Barrow Whites and the Ringwraiths are compared to each other. And in first drafts, Tolkien himself stated that they are like sort of one and the same kind of creatures. And then later he was like, no, they're different things. There's not a ton of information on that that I could find, but I did find that. He kind of revised later and he was like, eh, there's some distinctions that are made here. But anyways, another possible inspiration is from Slavic culture, and it's a cryptid called Amar, I think, M-A-H-R. 
and is a creature that rises from its burial mound to haunt the living and feast on their blood. The Mar is also vanquished by the rays of the sun. Okay. So it seems to be kind of like a combination of those two things. I don't know. I just think that I love that, like, drawing from real life. He draws from real cultures and there's actual background for these things that we know on our planet and it's like middle earth and our world a lot of times kind of go hand in hand the stuff that he yeah because all those spirits that are rising up and drinking blood yeah it's happening no (laughs) (laughs) but like do you know what i mean though like he takes so much inspiration from mythology as a whole and it kind of makes Middle Earth seem closer to us in a way. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so I want to talk about the etymology of the term Barrow White for a second. And this is my last little note. So as I said earlier, Barrow refers to the actual burial mounds themselves. But White is a little more complicated. So White is spelled W-I-G-H-T. And it's a derivative of the Old English White W-I-H-T. So just cut out the G. And that means living being or creature. It doesn't mean ghost. Okay. I was assuming it meant like some kind of spirit. Phantom. I I was fully expecting it to mean phantom or spirit. And it doesn't. It means living being or creature. Okay. Which is weird to me. But it's cognate to the modern German word Wicht, which means unpleasant person. (laughs) Because that's exactly what they are. that's the understatement of the century. (laughs) It's like you meet the Barrow Whites and you're like, eh, kind of unpleasant. There's a lot of people who I would call unpleasant, but I would not classify the the Barrow Whites. Well, I kind of want to use that word now, though. I just want to be like, oh, you know, they're just a vict. (laughs) People will be like, I'm sorry, what? I'll be like, if you don't know what it means, you obviously don't get me. Well, we will all get you, Maddie. Now everybody who listens to this podcast is going to understand. And let's make it happen. Guys, let's make Wicht happen. I can't even say that word. Wicht. 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 I'm close. Listen, we have German heritage. You need to learn these things. All right. I'll work on it. Okay. I'm pretty sure my old... IPA coach would be extremely unhappy with me if I could not pronounce the word Wicht. Oh, and I just fucked it up. Wicht. Oh, Lord. I'm sorry, Nathan. And that was my foray into the very, very creepy world of the Barrow Whites. So can I ask a couple more questions? Please. Okay, so do they always inhabit the bodies of kings? Like, if they're going to go into some corpse's body, is it always kings? Or did it just happen to be kings because that's what's buried? Because, like, all the, like, the nobodies, they would just, like, bury in, like, a big grave. A mass grave. <laughs> <laughs> I really okay. hope that that's not <laughs> Yeah, I hope they didn't do that. But, I mean, like, these were, like... I'm picturing, like, that scene in Amadeus where they just, like, toss Mozart's body into that, like, massive... Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do with all the peasants. They're like, fuck you guys. Um, I think Man, it was rough living in that time. I, I <laughs> you know, the historical period of <laughs> ancient <laughs> Middle Earth. <laughs> Such a rough time to to live. <laughs> I, you know, I really don't know Molly because I think 
from what I can assume from their own behavior, the way that they have these like ritual sacrifices, basically, I would assume that, yes, they do gravitate towards places that are significant burial places because they have those uh they have all the treasures and the gems and jeweled armor like i was saying and i think that they're attracted to that okay as well as just the fact that there are creepy dark places where people are buried in general okay second question for you can the barrow whites do any damage when they're not in a corpse yes what can they do they can capture you regardless. I think them assuming or reanimating the corpses is more of like a thing for them. Like, I think they think it's effective and like, I I think they do it because it's creepy and they like doing it. But that Barrow White that approaches Frodo in the first place, that one is actually, I don't believe it's assuming a corpse. At that oh, point. that's really that's what it really looks what like. That's really what the Barrow White looks like is this weird like creepy figure with glowing eyes and then it's got those skeletal hands okay and i think that that's actually what the barrow whites look like in their normal nature okay so what we're seeing in the barrow when that hand is coming that's the corpse well that's probably an arm of a corpse that is being inhabited by a barrow white okay um and then my other question is when we hear that singing i thought when i read it that what was happening was there was like a bunch of Barrow Whites coming to attack them. But you're saying that that is like a power they have. Each Barrow White can make this like chorus of singing? No, that's not what I was saying. Oh. I was saying that that's just something that that's like part of their ritual is that they all start to sing that like weird they they like come together as oh a so it is a group of I barrel believe whites it is i believe it's a little unclear in the chapter because when tom bombadil actually shows up we don't really see much happen and when frodo chops off the hand from that arm basically you hear this like rasping like growling noise so we know that like something's about to attack but we don't know how many there are and like exactly what their nature is and when Tom Bobadil busts in and like lets the sunlight in there's shrieks and I think I think some of them disappear but I don't know if we ever get like a full scope of exactly how many of them there are that are attacking the group man this could have ended way worse it could have been so much worse. Could have been the end of the uh, of the book, and then that ring would have just been buried beneath these. Wait a minute! If they work for the Black Riders, if that ring had been left in that burial tomb, don't you think the King of Angmar would have come and got the ring from them? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Oh my gosh! I-, I think that that was probably, in, in fact. Like I was saying, the fact that it, it's possible that the Witch King of Angmar was there visiting the Barrow Whites and telling them that there might be imposters there. I think that was maybe part of his plan. That is so That's awful. maybe why why they were attacked in the first place. Also, side note, about how ineffective the Black Riders are, mm-hmm. wouldn't they have just been waiting there as well? You would think <laughs> that... <laughs> That they were they're like, we need a break. They're like, sitting we need there a and vacation. They're like, ugh, like when are these hobbits gonna come? And, and they're like, do you guys want to go to Sonic? 
The witch cave, Angmar's like, no, Waffle House. <laughs> this is happening. We will go to Waffle House. One of them's like, I like IHOP better. And then he just like punches him in the face. I'm loving this like <laughs> little <laughs> this rem- little thing we're setting up for the Black Riders. It I reminds like- me of in The Mandalorian when those two stormtroopers are sitting on their little speeders and they're having that little discussion. Oh, about how sitting- like the boss keeps just like murdering people and they're like, we're just going to sit here and just hang tight for a while. Right, and he's like, like, he's like I'm having- going to look at like they're just having their own little conversation. Yeah, I love that. I want more of that in Star Wars in general. Yeah, we should do more of that in this too yeah we do that anyways what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about bitch <laughs> that's like half the podcast it is well i feel like i understand them so much better thank you for putting up with all my thousands of questions at yeah the end of, this. No, of course i'm glad i could like kind of answer them <laughs> do you want to move on to our favorite quotations yeah let's go okay okay my sassy quotation for the week why are you smiling at I'm me i'm excited i love your sassy <laughs> quotations okay this takes place while they are sitting around Tom Bombadil's fire and Tom Bombadil has just taken the ring and put it on and he did not disappear and Frodo is a little annoyed. <laughs> he was perhaps a trifle annoyed with Tom for seeming to make so light of what even Gandalf had thought so perilously important. He waited for an opportunity when the talk was going again and Tom was telling an absurd story about badgers and their queer ways. Then he slipped the ring on. Mary turned towards him to say something and gave a start and checked in exclamation. Frodo was delighted in a way. It was his own ring, all right, for Mary was staring blankly at his chair and obviously could not see him. He got up and crept quietly away from the fireside toward the outer door. Hey there, cried Tom, glancing toward him with a most seeing look in his shining eyes. Hey, come Frodo there. Where be you a-goin'? Old Tom Bombadil's not as blind as that yet. Take off your golden ring. Your hand's more fair without it. Come back, leave your game, and sit down beside me. We must talk a little more and think about the morning. Tom must teach the right road and keep your feet from wandering. Frodo laughed, trying to feel pleased. (laughs) (laughs) Frodo's so moody. I love it. Frodo's like, what the fuck? This is my ring. Mine. I made it look I want to be able to disappear whenever I can. <laughs> I love it. Oh, God. Well, I have a section about Frodo, too, but it's about Frodo being a fucking badass. Oh, well, we are the same. No. Two sides of the same coin. That's what I was trying to say. It wasn't coming, though. That's all right. I got you. <laughs> okay, so this is from page 140, and they have been captured by the Barrow Whites, and Frodo awakens in the tomb. But though his fear was so great that it seemed to be part of the very darkness that was round him, he found himself as he lay thinking about Bilbo Baggins and his stories, of their jogging along together in the lanes of the Shire and talking about roads and adventures. There is a seed of courage hidden, often deeply it is true, in the heart of the fattest and most timid hobbit, waiting for some final and desperate danger to make it grow. Frodo was neither very fat nor very timid, indeed, though he did not know it, Bilbo and Gandalf had thought him the best hobbit in the Shire. He thought he had come to the end of his adventure, and a terrible end, but the thought hardened him. He found himself stiffening, as if for a final spring. He no longer felt limp, like a helpless prey. Go Frodo! 
Frodo's like, instead of being like, I'm at the end of my adventure, I'm about to die, I'm just gonna give up Woe and is me. wallow in despair, he's like, you know what? Fuck no. Right. He's like, no, I'm I'm not gonna die today. I'm gonna do something about it. Everybody this. else would have gotten out their chocolate ice cream and put on a sappy movie and would have just cried it out. <laughs> And he's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm going to no. go skydiving or something. He's not having any of that bullshit. I love that part where they're saying like even the, the fattest and most timid hobbits still have like a seed of courage. But Frodo's neither very fat nor very timid. <laughs> so Frodo's like just going to fuck shit up. And I think it's so cute. It's like Bilbo and Gandalf both thought he was like the best of all the hobbits. Yeah, they're like, we love Frodo. He's great. <laughs> I do too. He is I do great. too. Frodo's amazing. This is a no Frodo hate zone. Boo. What was that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that was. But I think it is worth noting that this is a no Frodo hate space. Because a lot of people do hate on Frodo. Did you know that? I I have seen that a lot. You know, some of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is that me and Maddie have been exploring a lot of deviant art and fan art for you've been exploring deviant art. i had my deviant art days oh, I, I am for loving like 10 it years. i am I loving it i found all my art on tumblr which is like probably not the most effective place to search you're probably on the right track being on deviant art i probably am anyways i'm finding some really beautiful stuff so way to go keep it up guys all you lord of the rings yeah, you artists. guys are amazing and send your fan art to us like send us your favorite fan art anything that you've created any fan fiction like we want to see it we want to read it like just just send us all that We shit. are your biggest fans. Yes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Sisterhood of the Rings. Join us next week for another always unexpected journey into all things Tolkien. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and please visit our website, thesisterhoodoftherings.com and like our Facebook page, The Sisterhood of the Rings Podcast. If you like what we do, please do us a favor and subscribe and feel free to leave us a review. If you hate what we do, please leave us alone and turn your rage into a productive hobby like making bath bombs. Oh, cute. (laughs) Go work for Lush. (laughs) See See you you next time, time, you gorgeous gorgeous nerds. nerds.